Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great question. And I, and I think there's twofold. Decentralization is one part of it, which means, you know, once we set up the protocol, I, I do want to kind of move away from it. And like, I, I do still want to be part of the execution, but I don't want to be the one making day-to-day -day decisions on the operations of the protocol. Because ultimately what I think is best for the protocol and what I think the direction the protocol should go in may not necessarily be the one that our users think it should go in. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. What is up, everyone? I am your host, Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to another epic episode of The Charlie Shrem Show, where together, twice a week, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders, Bitcoin OGs, those building on layer ones, layer twos, layer threes, creating all these new technologies, the cool products that we get to use today. There are so many cool products that are being launched that you guys are hearing about on the show. Products and services, cool companies, things you can do that are relaunching and building that are taking like all of the mistakes that we made in the last few years. And we're looking back on ourselves and we're saying, how can we do this better? How can we actually do DeFi? How can we actually do decentralization? How can we do cool things on Bitcoin? There's a lot of cool things happening. People are seeing like ordinals or whatever. I'm really excited to introduce my guest today, Jane Moth. Jane, thank you so much for coming on, on the show today. Thanks for having me, Charlie. What you're doing right now at ZK Lend is really, really forward, forward thinking. But not just that, it's like you're using some of the newest technologies that are being launched on a day-to-day -day basis. This is not like you're using with ZK Lend older technologies and protocols. It's like you're constantly having to build out your company on top of some of these technologies that that break sometimes. And we saw that in in the DeFi world. And I kind of like go back to a year or two ago. We were hodgepodging and very fast and quickly, I guess, putting together all these different protocols and, and different things, but it, but it broke. And we saw with a lot of the defaults on institutional DeFi protocols, we saw flaws in existing processes, like especially when it comes to the monitoring of money, of moving money around, going from rehypothecating certain assets on top of each other. But at the same time, these resets that we had they expose weaknesses in the current systems, while also encouraging the growth of new ideas like, like yours. So you have ZK Lend, which is, in my opinion, you have this really cool company, and I'd love for you to, to introduce yourself and introduce what you're doing. But do you, I guess, like, while you're introducing yourself, how is ZK Lend different than what we had a year or two ago? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'll start with an introduction first. So I, I'm Jane. And I'm one of the co-founders for ZK Lend. And, and I'm really excited to be here to chat. I mean, I guess all things DeFi and maybe institutional DeFi with you. And just a quick introduction about our product. ZK Lend is a lending protocol that we are building on top of StarkNet, which is one of the newer layer two solutions out there that utilizes ZK rollups. And happy to go more into detail on ZK rollups and why, you know, why we think that they are the future of Ethereum scaling. At its core, our product has two approaches. One is a, a retail product that does uh, borrow and lend for anyone who wishes to connect to the protocol, deposit over collateralized assets, and, and, and take out a loan. So if you have 100 USDC, you want to deposit it, earn a yield, great. If you want to deposit, earn a yield, and maybe use it as collateral to borrow some wrapped BTC, you could also do that. And then on the other hand, we also have an institutional product. And our institutional product is 
in some ways, it works a lot like the retail product, except there is a permission side to it. So if you are a VC, a market maker, and you actually want to borrow money, you can do that over collateralized like every retail user and just use our uh, permissionless product. But sometimes you may also look to uh, borrow under collateralized, or you might have collateral that is off-chain, or you might have collateral that is not liquid. And so the idea is we want to enable these guys to, to be able to borrow on, on the terms that they wish to, but also allow retail users to contribute and lend to these guys and earn a higher yield in return because of the risk that they are taking. How do you connect off-chain assets to provide that are like generally illiquid and those paths to liquidity are very difficult, you know, bankruptcy claims or real estate or anything like that? How do you connect that into like an on-chain product? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when you're talking about off-chain, there are there are a couple of folds. You can talk about even like NFTs, right? I guess they're not an off-chain product yeah. per se, but they are some illiquid products that may be hard to value or maybe hard for traditional lending protocols to take as collateral. Down the line, actually want to be able to say, hey, maybe you have a CryptoPunk or you might have yeah. a BYAC. And we want to be able to say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll take it as collateral. I mean, obviously, it would be at a much lower collateralization factor. But again, it's about enabling composability and enabling people to say, hey, it's not just about depositing you know, the BTC, ETH, and, and, and using it as collateral. That, that whole world of connecting real-world assets and on-chain, off-chain is, I think, where a lot of the regulations are going to come from. So it's kind of really interesting that you've split your products in a very unique way. So you have the, the fully permissionless, decentralized product that just exists out there in crypto land. You deliver the technology, you launch it, you constantly are updating it, but it's, it's permissionless. And I'm assuming, are there like uh, DAO holders that kind of govern that product? Yes, yes. Eventually, we, want, we so do cool. want to move to a DAO, a DAO setup. But um, to be very honest, we are still in early days. And Charlie, when you asked me um, how off-chain assets would work, you know, I think that is the ultimate goal. But right now, we are we are still looking to implement our very first part of our vision, which is the retail product. But that's important that it was split up because if you if you lumped it all together into this like epic protocol, that's where you kind of run into issues right now because you almost like have to move very slowly. Within is that the that's the Apollo product, correct? Yeah. So the institutional product is the Apollo product. You have to like move slowly with the institutional product because you're in lockstep with compliance and regulations. You can really go out and build and develop strongly, aggressively, and and allow for testnet and launches on the decentralized product because they're two both very different things. That's interesting because a lot of the guests that I have end up like it's it's like one product, so they get almost like stuck in where they can't. They can't really do anything anymore. Yeah, and I, I think this is kind of the principle of why we decided to start two products. My my partner Brian, he he had actually worked at a bank, and he understands a lot of the regulatory, I guess, issues, or he foresees a lot of hurdles that we might run into as we launch our Apollo product. Things like licensing, as you mentioned, claims. If any of the players do not repay certain of these loans, how do we go to bankruptcy court, or how do we actually? help use yeah. recoup some of these funds. And the reality is with regulation, we don't have full control over what happens in the market at the time. So we don't want that to like kind of stop protocol development just because, I don't know, like the case of FTX, right? Like institutions all suddenly stop borrowing and that's our exactly. entire business. 
I want to like kind of switch a little bit into scaling because I never really get to cover this topic as much as I'd like to. Um, and I want to go back in time a little bit to when you had big debates on top of Bitcoin, which how that was going to scale. You know, there was the, the, the block size wars and that came down to like a question of decentralization. If you increase the block size, costs a lot more money to run. You'd have nodes would need to be larger. Blockchain size would be larger. So you'd have less people running them, therefore less decentralization. And then on Ethereum, we saw debates for years of moving from proof of work to proof of stake for scalability reasons. We saw that happen. And then we saw thousands of thousands of other blockchains launch that mimic Ethereum and Bitcoin in some sort of like hyper fast way. This is how we want to scale, like almost like these forks and offshoots, different things. A lot of them are growing very rapidly. A lot of them are EVM compatible to Ethereum, like you have like, like Polygon and, and some of those that are getting really popular. But you guys are hinging your scalability and your product on zero knowledge technology, which is very, very new. And I, I still don't fully understand it. Roll ups, and we're going to get into that in a second. But also you're building on top of Starkware, which is also very new on top of Ethereum. Can you, if it's possible, teach us like Ethereum's vision or all blockchains vision for scaling? You have these different modular pieces that do different things and they have their own, own incentivization models. Like how, how do you know where to start? Yeah, I guess maybe I'll just start. Oh, that's that's a that's a heavy question, but sorry, <laughs> I know. it's what I'm thinking about to be honest. No, no, no. Of course. Why don't I start with kind of what zk rollups are and and why they they really help Ethereum scalability, right? I mean, the issue with Ethereum is come DeFi summer back in 2018, 2019, there was yep. such a large amount of transactions coming through, and the issue is congestion, right? The, the network couldn't hold or couldn't process this many transactions yeah. in, in a short period of time. And gas fees started hiking up. So unless you were someone who had a lot of money, each transaction could come to like 10, 15 US dollars. So if I were transacting, I was making a swap on Uniswap for $100 USDC to ETH. My cost to transact was 10, 15% of what my transaction would be. And if I played around with it for a little bit longer, I might even lose all my money in gas before I get around to get around to actually executing my strategy. And that's a huge issue, right, for, for, for blockchain scalability, because ultimately it isn't about just the institutions playing around. It should be about me and you, as well as every other small player out there. Well, I don't know if you're a small player, but I'm a small player out there. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, this is when kind of the scalability question comes in, right? Like, how does the blockchain say decentralized? Because Ethereum is extremely decentralized with thousands of node operators. Each node operator actually needs to download every single transaction that comes in. And so this the data availability question that, that, that comes into play. This is, this is my segue into roll-up solutions. Yeah. And basically what roll-ups do is they are like a layer two solution that combines hundreds of thousands of transactions on a separate chain, so to speak, or on a, on a different layer. All this data actually sits in layer two, but they generate a proof to be submitted and validated on layer one. So on layer one, instead of holding all the transaction data of, of, of everything, what you're basically holding is the ZK proof. So the proof to say, hey, actually all these transactions were executed correctly, as well as the state change. So, so, so what the ledger looks like rather than the process of what, how every transaction was executed. Let me, let me break it down a little bit more. So I was actually thinking about this today. 
I was given a, a challenge at the gym, actually. And the gym told me, okay, Jane, you need to do 10 minutes of planks and record yourself doing it. 10 minutes in one plank? <laughs> no, no, no. Over, over like a course of like, however okay. many videos you want to do. And, and I did it. And I was thinking like, crap, I hate the idea of recording myself. And I hate the idea I have to upload it into a group and prove that I've done something. What if I'm able to actually like prove that I've done these planks without having to upload a video, like some way to prove it? Or what if I can even prove that I've completed the challenge without telling you that it was the challenge was 10 minutes of planks? So basically, this is what ZK proofs yeah. are. ZK proofs. It's a great analogy. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to use that. That's exactly what it is. But my question is then, if you don't know the question to be asked, then how do you know if the answer is good? Like, like what then in that, in your, in your example, who is the one that's requesting the information? Is it you? Is it the verif- Is it your trainer who wants to verify that you did the challenge? So then they know what the challenge was and they can get a yes or a no. Yeah. I, I think maybe the question is just more so what, like who, who's, who's like coming up with all these like cryptographic proofs. And I think this is where the moon math comes in. And this is where all the cryptographers and scientists come in. They help generate this cryptographic proof, which to be honest, I'm not super familiar with how you generate a cryptographic proof. But they're basically telling you, hey, um, based on these constraints, I'm able to prove that these hundreds and thousands of transactions were executed properly. And once they generate this proof, they submit it on Ethereum layer one. And there is a validator to say, okay, these proofs fit the criteria that we're looking for, and therefore we accept it as a valid transaction. Ah, so it's like the the computation doesn't need to be uploaded. Like in your video example, the computation is happening locally. It's happening with you. Yeah. But the method in which the verification is happening, it's not technology that you could own and you could counterfeit it. It's it's technology that you're all agreeing to use and that you're using it and it's, and it's uploaded. And so... That's a that's a very good way. So it's in, in in blockchain, especially when it comes to like smaller types of data transactions, a lot of the times you're just verifying if the data is there or if someone did something, like you said, if proof of work, you don't actually need a copy of all of the work downloaded. Yeah. So ZK rollups, it's being it could potentially change everything because you wouldn't need millions of node operators to actually download a copy of the chain itself. Yeah, or whoever's um, running a node on like Ethereum, for example, they wouldn't necessarily need to download every single transaction that happens on layer two, but rather they're downloading that compressed data, that proof says everything's been executed properly. I'm really excited that this podcast, The Charlie Shrem Show, is now powered by Waxman. I think I met the CEO, David Waxman, back in 2015 or something at an Ethereum meetup, and he told me that the future belongs to the fearless. And that is why they are producing the show right by my side. What an amazing team we have now. It's so amazing. You guys have been hearing some great updates and following along. If you don't know, Waxman is the leading global strategy and communications firm advising the next generation of companies in Web3, disruptive technology, Bitcoin, crypto, fintech, artificial intelligence, and venture capital. Waxman's clients are ambitious leaders and businesses that are on the frontier of this whole new economy because they really do believe that the future belongs to us and we're the ones building it. With services across everything from digital marketing, public relations, social media, investor relations, financial communications, recruiting, and public affairs, 
They're helping companies and individuals like myself seize the business opportunities that we deserve, overcome challenges that we all are gonna face and achieve sustained success. Head over to Waxman to learn more. You guys are gonna love them. We have them in the show notes. Check it all out. It's W-A-C-H-S-M-A-N.com. That's W-A-C-H-S-M-A-N.com. Why is this important to you, to be honest? Like you, you mentioned before, like we're talking about DAOs and you said, well, we're not there yet. We're on like a path. And, and anyone who listens to the show knows that I probably say this term, the path to decentralization, every show. Decentralization is a path. And the way you're doing it is the right way. Kind of like talking about our roadmap. This is where we are. This is where we're going to be. This is the future. And being decentralized is, is about in the ethos of what it means to be a Bitcoiner is transparency. I would say that you're following the ethos of, of being a Bitcoiner because you're all about that path and, and being transparent. But why even be decentralized at all? I mean, if you have a permission product that could work really well, you're using blockchain technology, but you're making sure that everything works. But on the other end, if you have a fully decentralized product, I mean, it's at the whims of the of the token holders and the DAO holders and proposals. And there's, there's like, you're, you're removing your ability to control everything. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I guess maybe to backtrack a little bit, the, the reason I say decentralization is still very much, or, or with DAOs, it's still very much a work in progress. And I, I, I do want to highlight this with our, our experience building on StarkNet as well. Oftentimes, we find ourselves in a pretty like, I don't want to say frustrating situation, but because we're building on a new chain, a lot of times the network's trying to optimize for performance. Um, and, and they're trying to optimize for both performance and decentralization at the same time. So for example, on the StarkNet blockchain, we have provers and we have sequencers. Sequencers who basically order the transactions and then help execute it. And then once the transactions are executed, you have provers that basically generate that ZK proof that eventually gets submitted onto layer one. In a, I guess, more developed network, you might have decentralized provers and decentralized sequencers. But in the early days of the network, you may still experience a lot of centralization yeah. that comes in. And so I guess why decentralization matters. Going back to the point, I, I'm not an anarchist in the sense that I, I, I don't think everything's going to start out decentralized. I understand that there are in, inefficiencies that start out um, where you do require centralization to optimize for performance yeah. before you start to decentralize. But I think ultimately um, giving any one party too much power just corrupts them. Um, that is that is my fundamental ethos, yeah. which is why I believe that, you know, no matter how smart you are, no matter how great you are at developing technology, I think power just corrupts you, which is why decentralization to me matters. It's so true. I learned that the hard way when I was 23 and I fell from like a huge point in my life. I was at a very high point and and uh, I walked around like, you know, my butt didn't stink and uh, <laughs> and I fell from grace and and it took many, many, many years to rebuild trust and to rebuild life again. So so there's there's definitely that there. And and being responsible is is huge. Being responsible is is people don't realize that like our whole industry Maybe I'm an alarmist, but we were hanging by a thread. I mean, the FTX, the, the institutional DeFi protocols, we talk about billions of dollars just wiping out. And then the, the biggest problem was like that you had protocols that were supposed to operate a certain way and protect other people's assets and do like margin calls and, and basically like, hey, if someone's defaulting on their loan, sell their other assets, but things just broke. 
Yeah. Like a lot of things that just, it broke. And it, and, and here I'm out here, like on this show and speaking at conferences, touting the promise of this amazing technology. And then the ship breaks. People look at me, you know, <laughs> after about 13 years, people are looking at me like a little bit differently in this space, but yeah, it's, it was a little bit embarrassing. So how, how are you going to be a part of this responsible wave of DeFi protocols kind of in the future? Yeah. I mean, that, that's a great question. And I, and I think there's twofold. Decentralization is one part of it, which means, you know, once we set up the protocol, I, I do want to kind of move away from it. And like, I, I do still want to be part of the execution, but I don't want to be the one making day-to-day decisions on the operations of the protocol, because ultimately what I think is best for the protocol and what I think the direction the protocol should go in may not necessarily be the one that our users think it should oh. go in. And, and, and frankly, the demographics of who might be using the protocol versus me, the interests might not always align as well. That's a good point. You said your interest, so the, so the interest of the builder, you and the maintainer, is very different than the interest of the user. Yeah. And so it used to be in the business relationship, you had like company and then customer. But now you also have like token holder. So right. token holder kind of is the, the soft landing or it's like the ballast. It's the third like counterbalance, the token holder now. It's a beautiful thing. And what you're saying is, that it's not about the person, but power inherently corrupts, if, if I'm understanding you yeah. correctly. So why even put ourselves in a position of power or put anyone? Because you may have good intentions, Jane, but good intentions are not transferable. Exactly. But tokens are. Yeah, it's such a beautiful thing. I get, I get really excited about it. Yeah. But I guess the other part of it, which I also want to talk about, was when you talk about responsibility, and, and, and I think earlier in, in our chat, you know, you mentioned something about, you know, DeFi and, and breaking things. And this is something that I, I still to this day struggle with. And I, I go back and forth with our CTO and, and, and Brian a lot is, um, you know, how we should design our product. On the one hand, I want, I, I want to push, right? Like, I want to say, hey, I want to like, we're literally talking about this. We're like, okay, um, you know, we're doing a lending product. We're starting very simple because we're on a new chain and we we just want to cover our bases. And I'm like, hey, like, can we start supporting ecosystem tokens? Can we like help? Like, can we use them as collateral to borrow other things? Just like, I, I just want to push and I want to make the product as competitive and as aggressive as possible. And one of the responses from my CTO was like, Jane, like, have you like seen the exploits that, that happened in DeFi over yeah. the past few years? Like, Oracle exploits, like you have one shot at this. And if you mess it up, basically don't even think about the rest of your roadmap. And I want to tie this back to responsibility to the protocol, because I think it's so true. Like on the one hand, it's all about like innovate, like let's break things. But at the same time, it's like you're actually holding millions of dollars of people's funds. And I I, I can't stress this enough because I, I feel like I do get a lot of feedback like, hey, how are you guys innovating? How are you guys like pushing the next frontier? But what people don't talk about is how are you keeping my funds safe? And this yeah. this is something I've definitely, um, I don't want to say I've learned the hard way because we haven't quite launched yet, but I, I've seen other protocols get, get exploited. And I'm like, you know, I really applaud you guys for, for really pushing the frontier. But at the same time, I feel for you guys because, you know, once you get exploited, this is, this is a pretty bad, bad place to be in. Yeah, it's the worst place to be. I mean, but how do you prevent against that? I mean, there's nothing you can do. They, the old adage with hacking, it's like hackers will always find a way in. Yeah, I mean, like it's it's a balance, right? Like obviously auditing is part of it, but 
you know, there's there's only so much like Starknet is being built on a new language, Cairo, right? And and this the, like the language keeps like iterating. And so people who are auditing your code, they're also learning the language at the same time. I think we have to go slow on a new network. But I think the other part of it is actually, and and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too, is I saw like the Platypus Finance exploit recently, which was, I think, I forget what their what their stable coin was called, but basically they had an exploit recently. And the French police had actually like targeted the hackers and actually ended up arresting them. This was kind of one of the instances when I saw law enforcement actually come into play with hacks. Usually I'm very not like negative, but I don't have a great impression of regulators or law enforcement yeah. because who does in this industry? But at the same time, I do realize the role that law enforcement does need to play in the world of DeFi and the world of crypto because sure, like code is king, but in the early days, people are bound to make mistakes and who's going to help them recoup the funds? Surely some of the exchanges will help them. But how do you eventually penalize or how do you prevent this kind of behavior from happening? You need to, I don't know, you need, I, I don't know, I guess I'm rambling on, but I, I, I don't know, I guess, like, what, what are your thoughts around this? You're right. And uh, I was just reading that article about the platypus finance thing. And I don't have, like you said, it's when, when we talk about power, anyone who's in a position of power, I'm always weary of. But like you were saying here, when you have law enforcement actually doing something in lockstep with the the DeFi protocol and then using that money to reimburse people from a hack, I mean, it sounds like we're getting better. And what's cool about yeah. that is the French police probably have crypto experts on their team now, and they have folks who are willing to like open up and understand and learn. So it's like those governments who have been willing to like communicate with our industry, like the Swiss government, for example, has been involved since since day one, there are certain countries that have just really wanted to understand this industry, their law enforcement understand it the best because they've been around the longest. I mean, history and time is everything. So there's definitely a lot of that. The Sam Bankman freed way of like getting governments on our side by just donating millions of dollars to politicians is not the best way. The best way, it takes time. And the best way for us to work closely with governments of the future is to start working closely with them now on small things that eventually will end up being big things. And don't forget, people forget, it's like, there's no like yeah. big bad government in a room. These are, most people are civil servants. They're just like our friends or you and I who work for the regulators, work for the government, work for the IRS, work for different taxing. They're, they're, they're just our cousins, our friends. So the more they know about Bitcoin and crypto, the more they understand it, but the more they understand the why. Like this whole show, we've been talking about decentralization. We've been talking about the why. We've been talking about fairness, equity. Like that's what that's where we're going back to. And that's why I'm really excited. If if our whole industry was filled with folks like you, we'd be moving in a right direction. Do you do you think that we're moving in a right direction? You know, I I have mixed feelings sometimes, but yes. I think overall, we are moving in the right direction, especially with, because, I mean, you have two spectrums of, I don't, I don't want to say like people, but, you know, on the one hand, you have people who are in it for, I don't know, the shit coins, the memes, and, and that's yep. great. That's great for entertainment. But then you have people in my mind, like Starkware, who are really like cutting out the noise and, and just care about the tech. And sometimes that, that's really hardcore for me because I, I fail to even understand some of the technical details. But I think seeing this side of the spectrum of people 
makes me very hopeful that when people say crypto, it has such a bad connotation. Like, like at the end of the day, you know, once we push through with blockchain technology, I don't think we should be known as just crypto. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Like we don't, there's no internet people anymore. It's like, we're all use the internet. Yeah. And, and there's no more crypto folk. I was, I was watching one of your podcasts and I think it was with, um, I think it was with Ribbon Finance and I'm actually a user of Ribbon Finance, big fan, by the way. I think one of the things that your guest said was, you know, don't want to be known as, um, you know, or maybe I'm paraphrasing, but in my mind, I don't, five, 10 years down the line, I don't want to be known as a protocol built on StarkNet. I just want to be known as ZK Lend. So when people come in, I just want to be known as the person who's, I just want the user to know, okay, I'm using this product rather than think about like, okay, which blockchain am I using? Like this. Yeah, all that stuff. It's like, what we said about like web one and web two, like when I go on Facebook, I'm not thinking like, okay, I'm, I'm going like, I'm going on this internet and then I'm connecting, Like I just think yeah. it as Facebook and I'm using social media. Yeah. You're not thinking like what content delivery network is Facebook using? Are they on AW? Like, we're not thinking about, you know, how I, some people are like, how is Facebook broken up into different modules and how are they operating in the different, but, but you're right. Most people are not. And in the future, all this technology that we're building out is going to be the norm. But before that happens, before we get to that point of like critical mass, when there's no difference between like a crypto person and then everyone else, before we get there, we're still attracting our industry, a certain type of person. Yeah. And that person, you know, and we could talk about that, what attracted you and what it mean some early people to, to, uh, to Bitcoin and to crypto. But I feel like the common denominator is this like, we're all hardwired for fairness and connection, right? We all want to be connected. And so you and I and all the other people, we have our skills that we want to be able to use for for fairness and equality down the road. We don't really know how to do that, but we all saw Bitcoin and crypto as this like technology that can make the world a better place, you know, like be fair, be be equal. And on that note, today is is International Women's Day. And the the theme of that is is embracing equity. Do you feel like our industry is embracing equity enough? Are we are we doing everything that we can to make everyone feel welcome and and that we're all on this level playing field? Yeah, I mean, I would say the crypto community in general feels more inclusive than a lot of other communities out there, in my opinion, especially as a woman, as a woman who's worked in finance as well. I feel that people who work in crypto are not as stuck up. But in terms of being a woman and and how that like how that kind of affects the way I see the crypto community is yes, there's definitely a huge imbalance, right? If you look at most developers, they tend to be men. But I wouldn't say that's because of the crypto community. I would say because in tech right now, there is a large skew towards male developers, and it's only slowly catching up right now. And this is reflective through the crypto community because it's so tech focused. I would say compared to a lot of other communities out there, like crypto is just a lot more inclusive. I think people embrace that difference. People embrace that weirdness. And I would say it's it's obviously not as fringe as it used to be. Yeah. As a woman, I'm very happy to be in this ecosystem. And I tell this to people all the time. It's like crypto is a little weird, but I love it. It, it just it just like lets me be myself. Yeah. You just said it. It it. it, it it's embracing our weirdness. Yeah. Like it embraces, like we're all weird in some way or form. And we join this industry and it's very like embracing of that. And your status in the industry 
is really based on what your contributions were. Like I had a business partner that we, after three years, we never even like spoke on the phone, like barely, just because we can do everything over text chat. But I guess it's like, it's just a little bit different. You're judged on the quality of your work and it, and it's a path. It's not perfect, but I'm happy to hear that you say that we're better than, than other industries and, and others. But do you go to a lot of conferences? I try to, but I, because I'm based in Asia and I'm only getting out. So I'm based in Hong Kong. And today was the first day our mask mandate came, like was removed. I so, saw that. Yes. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So the first day I was able to walk around outside without a mask. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit behind and, and, and with traveling, as with traveling, you know, I'm, I think um, I'll probably have more opportunity this year. Have you left Hong Kong in a while? I have. I attended ETCC um, a while ago, okay. uh, last last July. Uh, I attended DevConnect back in April. We'll be looking to, I was actually really keen to attend East Denver, but um, it's just too far of a trek for me. Yeah. But any, any, any conference recommendations? East Denver is like now and uh, like as we speak, and I think, and I'm supposed to be speaking on Saturday, but I don't even know it. They kept changing it on me. It's like one of those situations. So it's all all up in the air, but I really want to go to that one too. The one event that I'm that I used to go to that I'm probably going to try to go to again this year is uh, the Satoshi Roundtable. Bruce Fenton runs this like great retreat once a year, and it's a secret location offline. I'll give you some details <laughs> about that. But um, yeah, the Satoshi Roundtable is the best. So Charlie, I, I guess before I forget, I also wanted to plug some um, women's resources in crypto that that has helped me a lot. I was introduced to Shifi a while ago, and Shifi is basically this community to help women, and you don't even need to work in crypto, but to help women kind of achieve crypto literacy or whatever you want to call it. And it's an educational series that can be free if you apply if you apply for it. And they basically oh, this is so cool! Yeah, this is so cool! <laughs> I didn't even know this existed. S H E F I dot org for the listeners. S H E F I. The check. This is so cool. Yeah, I totally forgot. I was like, okay, when Charlie finishes this thought, I need to plug Shifi. Empowering people globally to truly own and build their finances, wealth building opportunities, and value within crypto web three. This is so cool. Oh, education, experimentation, global community. Yeah. I want to give Shifi like some free ad space on this show. I think I'm going to start doing that. Just put out, just plug really cool products and services yeah. just for the sake of it. But this is so cool. Well, thank you. Thank you for teaching us all this today, Jane. Thanks for teaching us about ZK rollups and about equality and about why getting into the space is so important in the first place. Why what you're building is really important. Decentralization. We got to get rid of maximalism, but have a lot of fun along the way. And, and it's good to see like DeFi protocols are going to be like the clear winners in the next year. Thanks a lot for your time, Charlie. I had a lot of fun.